0: We want to look at a passage today in Romans chapter 4, verses 18 through 25, and the title of our message today is A God-Oriented Life. Really what we see in our text today is a picture of how Abraham's life was oriented towards God after God had come to him and saved him, revealed himself to him, and because that is what today's passage is about, it's like... How does someone who's given the promise that he's going to be heir of the world to come live? How do you like live by faith? I mean, that's essentially what it is that we're talking about here. How does one whose life is oriented towards God live? What does it actually look like? What are the components of it? Um, We see that displayed in Abraham, but like I said in my prayer, the call here is really not to be like Abraham the biblical call is to be like Christ. Like in all of this, we're conformed, called to be conformed into the image of Christ. But there are elements of Abraham's life that we want to look at today that we should adopt and pursue in our conformity to be like Christ. And i got to tell you, this is not an exhaustive list. It's funny that in this list, love for God is not mentioned, although that's biblically like the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Um, joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, not in the text, all the fruit of the Spirit you see from Genesis 5, uh, or not Genesis, Galatians 5, 22, 23, not in the text, but there are other components, and I think the components that we talk about today are going to help us um, give, give a, 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 I think, hopefully a well-rounded view of what a life oriented towards God looks like. Do you want, I mean, I guess the question I'm assuming, I mean, I want it for me I'm assuming you want it for you is that you, like, you want your life to be oriented towards God, right? Like you want your thinking and your doing and your living to be oriented towards God. This, I think this is the, like one of the key ministries of the Holy Spirit that indwells the life of the believer constantly pulling us. I mean, we just sang a song, right? Like, Lord, I'm prone to wander. and prone to leaving the God I love. The Spirit of God, he is the thing that brings you back from wandering. If you could destroy yourself and shipwreck your faith, you would. But because of his loving kindness, he draws you and he keeps you, that none that the Father has given to the Son would be lost. And because you are his and promised to be his and brought into covenant relationship with him, like, isn't there something about you that says, I want to live a life oriented toward God that's honoring to him and, and glorifying to him and pleasing to him? I hope that's a part of your life. I hope that's the mark of, like, of my life. I hope that's the mark of this church. I hope people that don't want to live a life oriented towards God find it very hard to be comfortable here, honestly. And we see that Abraham, like he had a life that was oriented towards God, but this is the thing, like the way that our passage, the picture that our passage paints about Abraham today, it's, it's one view of him, like, what, I think what strikes me about this passage is, we'll read it here in a moment, is the way that the passage speaks about Abraham in such wonderful ways. And yet, if you go back and you read Abraham's story, that's like, <laughs> that's not the picture you get at all. He was, he just like continually made mistakes. He did things right. He did things, some things right, did some things well. Especially later on in his life, God asked him to sacrifice his son, Isaac. And he was like so ready and willing to do it knife about ready to be plunged into his son and God says no stop but it's like later in his life and his walk with God at the beginning though he's makes all kinds of mistakes i find that very encouraging for me it's like i make all kinds of mistakes too there's things that i do well there's things that i don't do well What we've seen in, our, in, in Romans is that God has taken the initiative to save Abraham. This is a message that is about God's um, goodness and kindness towards his people so that his people would turn and live a life oriented towards him. And we see some of those components today. This is a message for the young and for the old, for the working and for the retired, for the sick and for the healthy, and we use Abraham as our example, as we see this story of God coming to Abraham, showing the initiative to save him, is applicable, and it's part of our story as well, that we would live a life oriented towards God. So let's read Romans chapter four, verses 18 through 25, this morning together, and we'll notice some of these elements um, and some points that I think are helpful for us. Romans 4: 18 through25. In hope he believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations, as he has been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses, and raised for our justification. I think it's obvious to see in the text that there is a connection in the mind of God between us examining Abraham's life and his story and our life and our story. That connection is clear as he makes the transition from verse 22 to 23. He looks looks at Abraham's faith that was counted to him as righteousness, and then he specifically says, the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. Abraham's story is something to say about us. We need to consider um, the elements, the components of Abraham's faith as, he's, as he displayed them imperfectly. What's, what's, I think, important to see here is that it's, though Abraham's life live, is lived out imperfectly, his faith is lived out imperfectly, it's perfectly accredited to him. I mean, this passage describes Abraham in a way where you would think, like, he's the, he is the man. Did this guy ever get anything wrong? Well, just go back and read Genesis chapter 12 through the rest of his life, and you'll see he had plenty wrong. But there's a way in God's mind in which he looks upon his beloved children, and he sees them through the lens of his son and, 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 and the faith that's perfectly accredited to them even though they live imperfectly. Like, you live an imperfect life. I live an imperfect life. I don't lose any of God's love or his favor by living imperfectly. I don't gain any more of his love or his favor by living perfectly. But, oh, it is my desire that I would live for him well. Like, if I, if I could live perfectly for him, I, I would. I want to. I try. But we find ourselves failing over and over and over again. And those are the moments, I think, when the enemy comes in and he causes all kinds of disruptive thoughts and, and feelings in our lives and, and, and who we are in the eyes of God, Abraham was a man that lived imperfectly, but pursued. He did have a life that was oriented towards God. He, he, simply, in, initially, how did that start? God came to him. Like Abraham was not searching to God. Romans chapter 3 makes it very clear. There is no, none righteous, no, not one. No one is searching for God. If you are saved, it's because God came searching for you and called you out and drug you out of the pit you were in. And because of that, then we should go, oh, oh, Lord. How do I live for you? Teach me, tell me what are the things that are pleasing to you. Let me give me a heart and mind that is united to your word, that I might live it and pursue it and embrace it, even the hard, bitter truths that are within it. And let me always, always throw myself at the feet of your grace and your forgiveness, knowing that I need it more than I realize. The elements that we see in Abraham's faith, we want to look at three things today in particular. A life that's oriented towards God. It's a life that's full of fruit. It's a life that's founded upon God's word. And it's a life that is focused on our Redeemer. As we look at these components, the fruit of Abraham's life, I think it's important for us to look at them in particular, to notice things about them, and to examine our own lives in contrast to it and say, what are the areas of these in particular that I struggle with, that I need to grow in. And we won't be able to have, you know, spend a ton of time on each one, but just to notice what those things are. And then for you in your own time to go back and go, Lord, you have shown me that I don't do this well. I struggle in this way. And then you would continue to pursue those things in your own private devotional worship time with the Lord. The first thing that we see is obvious in the text in verse 18 is hope. Hope. Hope is a mark of the life of the believer that's oriented towards God. Like it says, in hope he believed against hope. Like in a situation where it seemed hopeless, Abraham had hope. He looked around and the situation looked hopeless. God says from you is gonna come a seed. You're gonna have an offspring. He's like, I'm 100 years old. My wife is barren. We've, had, we've tried to have children. We've never been able to. She's never been able to conceive a child. But you're saying that this is what's going to happen. And he holds on to that promise with hope. Hope is a key mark of the life of the believer. Now, I think what's important to differentiate here is the the distinction between the biblical promises and your own desires. So you can have hope and build your life upon the biblical promises that God gives to you. I mean, this was a promise that God gave to Abraham so he could hold on to it, he could embrace it, he could live his life upon it and pursue it. Trust, which we'll get to, that God was gonna do what God said what he was gonna do. He could do it. But it's entirely different to mistake God's promises for your own desires, which we often do. We insert our own desires into the scripture, and we go, this is what I'm hoping you do, God. And God has no obligation to fulfill our personal wants and desires. He's not my magic genie. I don't, I don't open up the Bible. Okay, I wish for. That's not how this works. It's <laughs> not how any of this works. God, but I tell you what, God's promises are better than your desires. You may not know it, you may not see it, but they are. And so you hold on. To the things that he and you hope in, the things that he has promised to you. Promises to never leave you nor forsake you. Promises that if you, if you weren't here last Wednesday night and didn't get a, hear, a chance to hear Dan's message in Ephesians chapter 2, please go on our website and listen to it. Let me just give you a tidbit Ephesians 2 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards you in Christ Jesus, that's a promise that he's given to you, that for all of eternity, he would um, show you the immeasurable riches of his kindness, of his grace and kindness towards you. You know that to be true. You have to hold on to that. That's a promise from God's word. So the life of the believer is a life of hope. Hope actually becomes a theme in Romans. We see it mentioned in chapter five, which we'll get to in its role in our sanctification and maturity Um, next week, Lord willing. But consider Romans chapter 15, verse 13. May the God of hope, God is described as being the God of hope, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Do you abound in hope? Are you a person that is marked by hopefulness, biblical hopefulness? Not like, you know, biblical hope is the expectation of what what is sure to come to you because God has said it in his word that it's coming. That's biblical hope. Are you a person of biblical hope that has solidly built their life upon the promises of God? Or have you built your life upon your own dreams, expectations, desires? Guess what? God shatters those things every day. Why? Not because He's cruel. Not because He loves shattering your your lifelong dreams. But because He knows your dreams are built upon something that are less than Him. And His desire is to bring you and set your feet upon the rock and build you up and prepare you for an eternal weight of glory. What if your dreams and your desires are inconsistent with the eternal weight of glory that you are to receive? What do you want? Which one would you choose? As a believer, I'm like, yes, the eternal weight of glory, but when it comes into my everyday life, I make choices, and so do you, that are more consistent with my own dreams and hopes and desires. A person of hope builds their life upon the promises of God. Abraham built his life upon the promises of God in a hopeless situation he had hope and so we're encouraged to never judge the lord's goodness or your obedience by your circumstances never judge the lord's goodness and never judge your obedience by your circumstances you judge it based upon the word of god and you put your hope in the god of hope and you build your life upon those those promises Secondly, inherently built into a life of hope, and this is not explicit in the text, but it is implied, is a life of perseverance. I mean, in hope, he believed in hope that he should. It was something that hadn't come yet. God gave him a promise, and he waits. I mean, it would have been a one thing for him to hope for like a day, a a couple weeks, maybe a couple months, a couple years. He's hoping and waiting for decades before this, this promise actually comes to fruition. Like, if that's not perseverance, I don't know what is. Perseverance is inherently built in to a life of hope, the enduring. While you're longing, you're waiting, and you're obeying God. You know, your life is really built upon the hope of God's promises when you're able to be obedient to Him and persevere through the difficulties of life while waiting. Like it's easier to be obedient to God when you're getting what you want. It's very hard to be obedient to God when you're not getting what you want or what he has promised in the word. That's persevering. We are a people that for largely in this country do not like to persevere. Our, our, entire, our entire culture is built around, I can, or, I can go on my phone right now in front of you and order something on Amazon and it will be on my front door tomorrow. Maybe even sometimes in the middle of the night tonight. What? Why wait? Waiting's awful. I can go through a drive-thru and I can order a burger and it's in my hands in two minutes. And some of them are actually pretty good. You know, like our culture is built around give me what I want right now. When we And we don't persevere well. He who's He who faints in the day of adversity, his strength is small. That's what the writers of Proverbs says. So we're called to persevere. A life of hope is built in persevering. You persevere through your circumstances. You persevere through your own sinful choices. You persevere against the sinful choices of people against you. Life of the believer is, uh, is marked by persevering, persevering with joy. I mean, you can take all of the fruit of the Spirit and, and attach perseverance to it. Persevere in love. Persevere in joy. Persevere in peace. Persevere in patience. Persevere in self-control. Life of the believer is about persevering because we don't currently have what we long for, but what has been promised to us. That was the life of Abraham. He eventually got it, but he had to wait. He had to persevere and hope that God was going to do what he said he was going to do, which leads us to our third point, trust. We see this in verse 20. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. Right, 18, in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so your offspring shall be. Right, even to the point where Christian read for us this morning, God is like, "Come come outside real quick. Look up. Look up to heaven. Why do you think he's looking up to heaven? It wasn't just so he could physically see the stars, but where his hope was. I look up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? comes from heaven, the, the maker of heaven and earth. Look at what, you look up to heaven and, and, and you're essentially looking to the Lord, the one who by speaking all of these things just came into existence. Can I, I, I did all of this. Can I not also fulfill this promise too? Come outside and see the stars of the sky. And if you could count them, you would have more offspring than that. Speaks about God's power, his His the number of children that would come from Abraham. And in all of this, Abraham trusted. No distrust, no unbelief, no doubt could make him waver in what God was able to do and going to do. I thought of Psalm chapter 9, verse 10. And those who know your name put their trust in you for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Continue to seek the Lord and continue to trust in Him and what He does. What are the things in which you doubt? Do you doubt God? Do you disbelieve His promises, His power, what He's capable of doing? Do you trust in Him? And are you trusting in, in Him and His promises and the right things? Or are you trusting in Him? to give you what you want. It's a big difference. I think we should all be encouraged to be honest and at times be like the man that came to Jesus and acknowledge your unbelief but confess your unbelief. Acknowledge your belief and confess your unbelief. Lord, I believe but help my unbelief. I believe, I do trust in you. But there are times where I struggle to believe and trust, help me. Next, we find, fourthly, we find strength. We see in verse 20, no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. He grew strong. Actually, should probably read he was strengthened because it's a passive verb. It's what he's receiving. God is strengthening him. You think about, now, now just for a moment, think about this. God comes to him and saves him, gives him a promise out of his own volition, and when he struggles to believe and to be strong, God provides strength. Like you, you think about how complete the care and the love of God is for you. When you're wavering in your faith and you're growing weak and you are distrusting, he strengthens he sends someone into your life to remind you. He brings you a passage of scripture where he speaks to you and he strengthens you in your faith and what it is that who he is, what he is capable of doing. And he he grows you strong. Believers, we need to, to grow to be strong in all situations in life. Paul would say this in Philippians 4, 12 and 13. I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty, or I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. I can learn the secret of contentment, I can learn the secret of being content when I have nothing. I can learn the secret of being content when I have everything. There's a secret involved in there that God, that God provides, and he strengthens his children to learn through perseverance. Abraham grew strong in his faith. We should grow strong in ours as well. Fifthly, worship. He grew strong as he gave glory to God. You got to think about, again, the context. Abraham has been given a promise. It hasn't come about to fruition for years and years and years. And what does he continue to do? He worships, he gives glory to God. He's growing strong in his faith, he's not growing weak. And he's persevering, he's enduring, he's trusting, he's hoping, and he's worshiping as he gives glory to God he is glorifying God when God is not doing what God says he will do think about that do you worship God when you're not receiving but when you're losing do you worship God when you go through seasons of loss do you worship God when you go through seasons of waiting do you worship God when you're persevering? Or do you only show up at church and you're only listening to worship music when things are going well and he's finally answered your prayer in the way that he, you want him to? Like, we're such a fickle people. God is worthy of our worship and, and worship is a mark of someone whose life is oriented towards God. You're worshiping him not because he's giving you what you want. You're worshiping him just because who he is. He's worthy of worship. There's no one like him worthy of all worship and praise. Worthy are you, our Lord, to receive glory, honor, and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. A life that's oriented towards God is a life that worships. You worship through the hard times. You worship through the good times. You worship with a smile on your face. You worship with tears pouring down your face but in all of it you're coming to God and you're worshiping him because he's worthy of worship, because he's sovereignly and powerfully and infinitely wise and in control, and he's preparing you to receive an eternal weight of glory. And everything that enters into your life is unto that purpose, for his glory, for your good, and for your reception of what is eternal. There's things that we need to understand about who God is to persevere well, to worship well, to trust in him at all times. And lastly, assurance. The last fruit that we look at in verse 21, he was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. He was fully assured. That word could be translated as assured. He was convinced and assured. In what? God, was able to do what he had promised. He was assured of God's ability, God's power to do what he would promise to do. It's one thing to receive a promise from somebody. It's an entirely other thing for that person to be ab- able to actually do what they promised to do. I mean, we make promises all the time for people of which we really have no control of, of fulfilling and bringing about. I promise I'll be faithful to you. How often do we break that? I promise to always tell you the truth. How often do you break that? But God, he makes promises and he has the power to keep them and he does. He may not do it when you want or how you want. That's the persevering part, right? Like I thought it was gonna, I thought my life was gonna look like this. I thought things were gonna come about like this. God had other plans. He's still fulfilling the promise to prepare you to be with him, to be like Christ. You just didn't know that it was going to have to be down the path that you're going. But he has the power, and he has the ability to carry it through. And it's assurance, really, that is the key to the saving faith. In verse 22, fully convinced, fully assured that God was able to do what he promised, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. He believed in God's ability and power to do what God promised to do. Do a study throughout the scripture on God's power. You'd be blown away, freshly reminded about God's capabilities. And that would be encouraging to your faith and will help facilitate and grow trust and obedience. So a life that's oriented towards God is full of fruit, and we've looked at those. Secondly, a life that's oriented towards God is founded upon God's word. And this is largely what our sermon was about last week, so we're not gonna spend a lot of time here. But a life oriented towards God is founded upon him. The greatest gift that we have in the gospel is God himself. And in having God, he, we, we have his word. To have God's word it's to have what God himself has communicated to us. And we see this in verses 20 and 21. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, God's spoken word. Verse 21, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised, what God spoke to him. He's hanging upon God's words to him in a life-oriented toward God is is built upon and founded upon the assurity of God's word. Now you think, Abraham, he had like a few sentences of God's promises in his word to build his life upon. We've got an entire book, lots of sentences, paragraphs, books, chapters, lots of words, nouns, adjectives, verbs, prepositions, all those things that God gives to us in the word. I mean, I think of the hymn that says, What more can he say than to you he hath said, to you who for refuge to Jesus hath fled. How firm a foundation, that hymn. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord. He's laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus has fled. If you fled to Christ then you have all that you need in his word to persevere, to trust. If you find yourself struggling to persevere, if you find yourself struggling to trust, to hope, to worship, go to the source where all those things spring from, in the word. But all of that, you know, for a real practical sense, I was thinking about it, really makes it imperative for you to not only be in the word personally, but to be in a church that's going to prioritize the Word of God and that preaches the Word of God in its entirety now I'm I'm talking to singing to the choir here but all of you have we all have friends you scratch your head and we go why are they why do they go to that church when the Word of God is like not only not central, but it's hardly ever mentioned. And, and when it is mentioned, it's completely ripped out of context. And I mean, this is this is pervasive in our in our society, in our culture. I I completely agree with the way the Westminster Larger Confession, confession puts it: the Spirit of God makes the reading, but especially the preaching of the Word, an effectual means of enlightening, convincing, and humbling the sinner of driving them out of themselves and drawing them unto Christ, of conforming them to his image and subduing them to his will, of strengthening them against temptations and corruptions, of building them up in grace and establishing their hearts in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. This is what the preaching of God's word does. And this is the reason why being and putting yourself in a place where the preaching of God's word is central, whether it's preached, those scriptures are preached, sung, spoken, prayed, tasted at the communion table, like everything in the service needs to be revolving and rotating about the word of God, around the Word of God. And we work really hard, imperfectly, sure, but we work really hard to try and do that and maintain that. Because guess what? That's where your hope and your food comes from. That's where my hope and my food comes from. I want to come to a place where where the buffet of God's word is laid out before me, and I can come and feast and eat because I'm weak and I'm hungry and I'm struggling to get through the week, through my life. And I need to come to a place where I'm strengthened through the word of God. And a life oriented towards God is built upon His Word, where I can come to know Him, where I can come to a place where I can can hear His names spoken and taught. I can come to a place where I can hear of His perfections taught and explained. A place where I can come and be equipped to stand upon Him. A place where I can come and find fellowship with other struggling pilgrims and exiles as we speak the truth of God's word into one another's lives. Words of life, the the, the sweet honey of the word of God that nourishes us and builds us up in the faith. So a life that's oriented towards God is built upon God's word. And lastly, a life that's built upon A life that is oriented towards God is focused on our Redeemer. Verse 23 makes the transition to us. The words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. The story of Abraham is not just a story, his story, and it's not just a story for history. It's a story for us. Turn, if you will, with me to Romans 15, verse 4. And I think this complements this passage well. Romans 15.4. Romans 15.4 reads this, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Everything that was written down, for whatever was written down in former days, Abraham's day, Moses' day, all of the things that were written down in former days were written down not just to record historical events, but they were written down for our instruction, for your instruction, that by opening up the scripture, you're being instructed through the life of another person. I was ta- we were talking about this last night. I was talking to Abigail, and I was like, it's, it's, isn't it hard to persevere and to seek the things of heaven? And she goes, well... I I guess it's easier for us than it was for Abraham because we have him as an example to learn from. Yes. Like, read your Bibles. Read your Old Testament. Be encouraged and strengthened by what you read and people that have come before us to be able to endure The the point of the stories, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Abraham's story is meant to be a, a story of endurance and encouragement and hope for us, that we would continue to endure in hope. And the object of Abraham's saving faith is the same as ours. It doesn't. I mean, it's true, Abraham lived on one side of the cross, and we live on another side of the cross. But it doesn't really matter which side of the cross you live on. The thing that matters is, are we looking at the same object together? What the Scripture is teaching us is that the God that Abraham was looking to is the same God that we look to. We know more about him, and we have revealed to us completely who he is, the fullness of God, dwelled in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the object of our saving faith in God himself, our redeemer, he's the same. The same God that redeemed Abraham, Daniel, and David is the God that has redeemed you and me. When you read through the Old Testament, you're, you're learning about who your God is and what he is like so that you might be oriented towards him. Who is your redeemer? Only more so now we have the fullness of that revelation in Christ, and that's where our, our text draws our eyes to towards its end. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Not only do we look to the same God, but we, have, we see clearly what it is that God has done for us in the Son. I mean, we have a fuller revelation, fully complete. You, if we believe in progressive revelation, you know, Abraham didn't have this whole book. We do. What a wonderful time we live in to have the completeness of the word of God, the, the closed canon in our hands that teaches us all that we need for life and godliness given to us in these pages right here. And we at the at the center of it is the story of the one who was delivered up. Again, I cannot get away from chapter 3 verse 25, whom God, talking about Jesus, whom God put forward as our propitiation. God puts him forward. He was delivered up for our trespasses and he was raised for our justification. Abraham was convinced of what God would do. We are convinced of what God has done. But we are like Abraham in the way that we are still waiting for the completeness of what it is that God would do as he has promised us that the son would return. Take home with him all those who belong to him. And so we observe, this text draws our, our eyes at the end to observe Christ's faithfulness to us and our continual dependence upon him. Drawn specifically towards the work of the, in, the, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. A life that's oriented towards God is a life that's focused on the Redeemer, looking to Christ. Every day we should be opening up the word of God and, and seeking Christ in it, the one who has done for us what we could never have done ourselves. How did Abraham respond to God's saving promises? We've seen how he, is, how he bore fruit. He trusted in God's word, and he focused on his Redeemer. And those things should be components of our lives as well. I think that's good for us to think about and meditate upon as we come to the communion table today. Mindful of the one who has been delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. He's, he's the object of our hope, of our, of our worship. And as we partake of the elements, you, in a moment as you go back and you, you grab the cracker, and you grab the juice, and you return back to your seat, and you're holding on to them. And as you're holding on to them, you're consciously reminding yourself of what Christ has done and who you are in him, and you are examining your life, and you are confessing the ways in which you fall short, and then you are falling upon the assurance of the salvation that you have in Christ because your faith is in him and not in yourself or in your own goodness or your own works. So this is the time of worship. This is the time of of personal worship, but we will partake of communion together because it is a time, a meal of corporate worship as well where we all come together like Abraham, like all of us, coming together as one, looking to the same object, looking to the Redeemer together, praising Him and worshiping Him and, and asking Him to help us and strengthen us to continue to persevere until He returns. So, this time is for believers. If you're visiting North Hills today and you are a Christian, you know him by faith and by faith alone, then we do invite for you to partake. And the elements are on the back table, and you can get that and return back to your seat. But if you are not a believer, consider where is your hope, and who do you say Christ is, and what are you resting upon in order to be uh, made right with him and to have fellowship with him? So the elements are on the table. You can get those returned back to your seat and we'll partake of communion together shortly.